Hello, Internet, and welcome to the Friendship Snake Podcast. I am one of your three hosts, Wade Mariano, and I am joined here today, as always, by one... Trace Finicaro. And... Jake the Woke Snake Roberts. That is a one, Gunnar Kennedy. Trace, welcome back. Trace was uh, not here for our last podcast. He was... uh, We'll rehash it again at a destination wedding for one of our very, very close friends uh, in Mexico, I believe, Trace. How, How was it? Um, it was very Mexican. It was a very Mexican trip. Um, I probably should brush up on my Spanish. Uh, but fortunately, the area that we went to was a very touristy area. So there was um, a high percentage of English-speaking people there to welcome us off of the plane. Even customs spoke English, which is nice. You know, Because to enter another country, you have to go through customs but it was good um which leads into the my topic which is island life um we happened to stay on a tropical island uh in the caribbean sea uh isla mujeres and what that is is it's a uh island off of the city of cancun you have to take a ferry to get there and we spent about a week there. That's where the wedding was. And uh, it was a new experience for me and my family. And I wanted to share a little bit of that and kind of talk about it. Because here in the mainland, or specifically in the United States, there's some things we take for granted. Uh, things that aren't available on the island. Such as being able to drink out of the faucet. Well, that's a, is, that a, is that all of Mexico or is that the island specifically? I don't know if it's the whole country, but um, definitely Cancun, they told us um, not to. And uh, as well as uh, the island, they told us not to. But, you know, when you have like a family of five and you're inside a house and you have um, what are those big blue water bottle things called? Like a nail gene bottle? Yeah. Um, when you have a couple of those in the house and all of a sudden they're gone, um, they're empty, you actually have to rely on the bottle service to bring more water to your home. Um, or you have to hope that there's some place within uh, walking or driving distance uh, that you can get more water. So I, it's, you know, it's something that we kind of take for granted here, um, having water. Not for too long. Oh, here's a question. Oh, God. Uh, fuck you, Nestle. Here's a question. Um, now, is this just a tourist problem? Like, have the people acclimated to the water there that are local to it, or no? Like, no one can drink the water, period. Um, that's a great question, and I don't, I can't answer that. I don't know if the locals drink the water there. It's, it's very obvious while you're, while, when you're there that there's some things that are made with the water from the island. Uh, what I don't know is if they have like a purification system that it goes through. So like um, in the restaurants, I assume that all of the fountain drinks come from some type of well. What I didn't know was if they had like a really good purification system that it went through. And I also didn't understand, you know, why all the houses wouldn't have had the same purification system. So I don't truly understand. But when they say don't drink the water, they really just mean don't drink it. You still shower in the water. You still brush your teeth with the water. You still wash your dishes with the water. You're just not supposed to drink it. So, um, so yeah, that was 
that was something, I know it's a cliche when it comes to visiting Mexico, but that was something that was a little bit new to us. Um, and also I said, if you can, you know, drive to a store, uh, first of all, there, th- this island, there was no credit cards. They would, none of the, nothing. The, the small yeah. shops wouldn't take credit cards. You could use your credit cards at some of the larger restaurants, which were towards like more, the more developed part of the island. Um, but for the most part, no, there wasn't, um, there wasn't credit cards. There was a restaurant right next to where we were staying and they, they were cash only. Um, and also when you get the big touristy areas in Mexico, they accept us dollar, but they just, they can determine what the conversion rate is. So right now it's about 20 pesos to the U S dollar. Some of them will, would only pay you 10. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So was there like a bank available so that you could just convert your currency? Like back, yeah, back in the developed area of, of the island, there were some banks. Um, there, there were definitely some banks available, uh, but uh, that's was about a twenty-minute ride, and there's no cars. The only cars that were allowed on the island were taxis and a few people that were rich enough to be able to import like their BMWs and stuff. Um, so you really end up on these golf carts or mopeds and the golf carts did not have windshields. So if there was any type of rain, you really were driving around in a poncho, you know, a 20 minute ride in a poncho from one end of the island to the other. Hmm. So getting money wasn't really an easy thing and not most places wouldn't take credit cards. So, um, there was a, there was a bar that we went by and it was called the soggy peso. And we really understood the, the meaning of that. Of course, soggy is an English word, but we really understood the meaning of a soggy peso by the time we were done because we were constantly traveling, um, with the risk of being rained down in these golf carts. So what are some things that, well, obviously it was a tourist destination, so you're going to have, you know, everything's going to be a bit more expensive and priced up, right? But like you, I'm sure you did have exposure to some of the markets that the locals used and whatnot. Like what are some of the things that you can specifically remember, if you can specifically remember that were like, were like significantly more expensive than, than you would kind of expect it to be? Um, it was really hard to know what cost more because everything was in pesos. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, there's some things like a gallon of milk doesn't exist. That was weird to us. Um, milk came in cartons. Yep. But it wasn't like the little cartons that um, that we would have in like in like school here. They were more like those like rectangular uh, things that you'd get like uh, almond milk or soy milk in um, back before you could get almond milk and soy milk in half gallons, like those smaller stackable. Like a quart or a pint maybe? Yeah, I believe it's, I believe it's a liter there, but yes, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so that was weird for, to, to us. There was no gallon of milk, at least nowhere that we could find um, in Cancun or on the island. Um, in regards to pricing, it was actually, uh, the supermarket, everything was labeled, but at the... Uh, at the little shops, there's absolutely no prices. Everything was just haggling. Like everything was trying to talk down to a price. So you didn't really know what it was worth. So one of the big, the, the popular things there, are those little ceramic uh, skulls, little sugar skulls or whatever. And uh, you really have no idea 
first of all, you have to, in your mind, you have to convert it to US dollars and decide if it's worth it. But then when you go up, the price that they give you is bullshit. And you have to like, like lowball them and then come somewhere in between. So that was a little bit new because even here in the US, everybody knows you can haggle at a flea market, but usually there's at least a starting point. Oh, yeah, the there's a baseline or there's an expectation of the consumer and the the seller, kind of what it, what the baseline value is, and you kind of work from there. How did you feel like that when you first started, and then by the end of your trip, did you feel any differently about that interaction? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how much I feel like my my sister in law. She would watch us pay. Uh, so a taxi ride from one end of the island to the other was a hundred pesos, which is roughly five bucks. And, um, what would happen is the taxis would say, um, Hey, it's a hundred pesos. But then after like a certain hour, they would bump it up to 150 pesos. But the taxi drivers, if you had us dollars, they would just round. So like one of the guys, he says a hundred pesos. And I say, well, you know, I, I, I just have dollars and he'd say 10, right? He'd round up 10 and she would say, you know, he, he's, you're getting fucking ripped off. Um, but she, if he said seven, she would give him a hard time. Um, so it was interesting traveling with somebody like her where she immediately, um, and she's from, um, she's from the country of Kazakhstan where they taxi all over the place. So she was already used to this problem where the taxi drivers um, are perfectly fine taking advantage of people that are naive or people that aren't familiar um, and they just kind of, you know, just kind of throw prices at you and take advantage of you so they can make a few dollars. So traveling with somebody like her kind of made it a little bit more comfortable. You'd, you, if you were going to hail a taxi, you'd do it with her and she'd sit there and argue um, until she got the right price. But there's some things that are really hard for, were, were really hard for us to get used to. Um, first of all, the, the island that we were on, and I'm sure a lot of islands are like this, the island that we were on, um, it has about... Without tourists, it has a population of about 13,000 people. So it's got a decent population. Um, We had uh, Michelle on two weeks ago, and she was talking about the city of Oneida with a population of 10,000 people. So it gives you an idea of of how big this this island is. But as you're traveling down these streets, you see some of the most beautiful and some of the most disgusting places that you've ever seen. You know, people call it paradise and it is, you know, because the weather's beautiful and because there's palm trees and you can um, pick a coconut up off, off of the ground. But you're actually seeing these huge homes that were started and never finished and they've just been graffitied and there's just weeds growing up around them. Um, you're seeing uh, what appears to be like these little shacks that people have made that they that they live in or they store stuff in, and then right next to those like rundown buildings, you have these beautiful, beautiful homes that were really designed to be rented um, to people from Mexico or people from the United States or anybody really that can afford uh, to live in these places for a week. Um, so that was. It was very strange to see ruins in the middle of uh, paradise, I guess. So when my uh, youngest sister, Brittany, shout out, um, lived in uh, Puerto Rico, she uh, lived in a section called Isla Verde. Mm -hmm. 
and there was a place that she would go on weekends called Pinones, which is kind of like where all the locals go on the weekends and kind of party on the beach, and it's, it's right there on the water. It's it's gorgeous. It's awesome. So our uh, my buddy and I went to visit her. We went, and um, it was just a blast. There were all these food vendors and stuff, and it was a huge party, and it was beautiful, and it was great. Well, like, during the week, no one goes there. And we went on, like, a Tuesday afterwards. Like, we went there on the weekend. Then we went there a couple days later. Like, you know, let's go back there. It was a good time. And it was, like, a hellhole. Like, there was trash everywhere. It was gross. And it was kind of uh, it's kind of surprising because, I guess, just, like, you, you see it in this one light. And that's all you see. But then not that far down the road, whether it be time or even distance, things get really shitty really quickly and i think it's maybe it's because it's all stuck on an island there's nowhere for it to sprawl there's no like shitty section because the shitty sh- section is essentially shared by the good se- the good section they kind of ram into each other yeah that i mean that's stuck on an island i think is a good way to describe the entire city in like in the case of the cars the cars are they're all really really worn down um all all the taxis that were there it was like there's probably one or two mechanics on the entire island. They know how to service these vehicles, but they just keep them running. And when I say they just keep them running, like if you remember 20, 30 years ago, when every car that pulled into your driveway, you would feel like your your face was in the exhaust because it stunk so bad. All the vehicles there stunk that bad. Um, they just they were either too old or they just weren't tuned properly. They were they were running well enough just to get down the road. Uh, um, my brother was watching a guy on a moped going down the road, and he had um, he had I think he had a guy in the back of the moped with him, and the guy in the back was holding uh, two like two by six beams on his head as he was going down the road. And, you know, there's those, those, the cliche footage from India where people are carrying like 10 bags of rice on top of their head while they're going down the road. I, I guess for some reason, I didn't expect that to be happening um, in this, this city right off of, right outside of, um, right outside of Cancun. But it's, it's more than people like using their head and trying to travel on a moped. Um, there was a family of five on a moped, and this is completely normal down there. A family of five on a moped, and I'm talking like like newborn and then toddler. Um, one in each arm for the mom. She has nothing else to hold on to. So it's dad driving, um, mom holding the two young ones, and then the, uh, the oldest sitting behind mom. And the only thing preventing mom from falling off is just her leaning in the right direction. <laughs> and uh, really, that's it. I mean, you know, there's... Well, you know, the rule is, is if you don't lean, get your ass off anyways, right? So what's that? If the rule is you don't lean the right way, get your ass off anyways, right? Yeah. So us, us growing accustomed to seeing a family of five, and they were the locals um, traveling on... On uh, an entire family of five traveling on a moped was crazy. I have a family of five at home, and we were having a tough time in the vehicle that we were driving in. And that vehicle had five seats, <laughs> a seat for every passenger. Um, so it's very humbling. It's uh, it's got it's. Here's a here's a question. So. Did you find, because obviously I'm sure 
your son's probably of the age where he started to notice some of the differences, kind of like he's probably noticed the locals and like the, the poverty, essentially. Are you glad that it was around? Because, I mean, you're you're out there doing something that's luxurious. You know what I mean? You're out there to vacation and, you know, you're not out there just struggling or scrapping to, to make it. Are you glad that maybe you and your son and your family got exposure to kind of like how the other side lived? Or is it kind of, yeah, it kind of effed up my vacation a little bit and kind of took away from it because it kind of bummed me out? Or did you just, you know, I guess I, I don't view you, see you as a person that would just be completely indifferent to it. Did, 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 did you make a point of throwing throwing random money at, at strangers in the uh, strangers in the uh, the dark, as it were? Mm-hmm. Just like money fight. Um, I, I don't. I didn't throw money at any strangers in the dark. Um, fortunately, I don't know what that's in reference to. If that's in reference to Cancun being an unsafe city, fortunately, we didn't have any of those encounters. Mostly because we were on the island, and um, for the last few days, we went to a resort. So I actually experienced the resort life too, and that's something that was for anybody who has not stayed in a resort. That was a very interesting experience for us. Um, but in, in regards to, um, I guess, the maturity of my sons. He's seven, so he gets a lot of it, and he he did ask he did ask quite a few questions. Um, you know, one thing was the uh, electricity wasn't guaranteed there. We lost electricity for um, you know twenty minutes here, thirty minutes there. You'd be sleeping, and all of a sudden the air conditioning would turn off, and everybody would wake up because the the you know the rumble of the air conditioning would turn off, or your night lights would turn off. Um, Really, any time there was a high windstorm on the island, our house would cut out from electricity. Most people are accustomed to living without electricity. Unfortunately for us, it was never more than an hour. But that's something that's very observable. But it's not just observable in the home. When you're going down the street in these golf carts, you can touch some of these power wires. I mean, they're hanging so low, you can actually reach up and touch them while you're driving. So it's... It's a very, when I say it's like paradise mixed with ruins, um, it's this strange, uh, it's even the homes that are fancy enough to be there are still relying on the shitty infrastructure that the rest of the island is relying on. And I shouldn't use the word shitty. I don't have, just don't have a better uh, word to describe Maybe it. shoddy. Yeah. Less, I guess less derogatory, but Slap similar. Dash. And their dump is located on the island. So... And there's no way to hide it. So you, when you're driving around the island, you're like, oh, hey, there's all of the trash that I threw out yesterday. And, <laughs> and Wade's kind of like giving like a scowling look when I say that. And it's, it's strange because I think, it, at least in the United States, most of the time when we throw something away, we don't have to stare at it the next day. Well, yeah, we have so much space that, you know, it's kind of we can put it somewhere where we won't see it. You know what I mean? Well, and I, so I, I guess the the thing too is that like uh, it's a, it's also a matter of what you're nor- used to normally experiencing because everything that you just listed right now is exactly where I live, anyways. So and like oh, I mean, other than other than the fact that you know I don't have to deal with horse poop on quite the frequency basis, it's still it's still sounding like yeah, it's still a step up, right? You know, it, it, it's just. Everything, everything's coming apart. Well, I think you see, um, not to like touch back on the geography thing, but I lived uh, in Connecticut for 
four years. Um, the, the Delaware of New England. <laughs> Central Connecticut, which is right outside in a town right outside Hartford, which Hartford has some of the worst crime and poverty levels in the country. It's a John Cena. That's where that's where he got his mad thug on the mean streets of uh, whatever in Connecticut. Connecticut was it Connecticut? I thought it was from Massachusetts, but regardless. Um, but you go just a few miles down the road, and you have a town called Farmington, which is very very wealthy and very very nice. And the same thing goes for the south because then Connecticut's a pretty prosperous state. Um, but like yeah, like Greenwich, Greenwich, Connecticut, which is one of the most uh, wealthy communities definitely in america um but you also have like bridgeport connecticut which is very like poverty stricken and so it's but uh we have the luxury here in america we have a ton of space you know there's a lot of room so it, we can kind of disconnect ourselves from it geographically speaking we can we can have that down the road and still have our little places right. for the most part i guess an island once again, like you just you're just forced to kind of live with it and see it. Do you think that that forced interaction? So obviously, there's, uh, you know, you identify there are some wealthy locals for sure. Do you feel that forced interaction, like on a regular basis, uh, changes their culture or how the the wealthy or the have and the have-nots interact regularly or differently from like where we live or where we're from? I would say it has to. Um... First of all, if you look at the way that some of these buildings are being put up, there was a lot of construction happening. Um, the construction was happening in a different way than we would normally see here. Um, if there was a, first of all, the homes are built different there. They're all built out of brick and concrete or something. I don't know what they're made out of, but I assume it's some form of concrete. So there's a lot of people with wheelbarrows and concrete and mixing concrete and laying brick. And, uh, there's there's no hard hats right there's no um there's no like construction company sign out front saying hey this is uh smith's construction and um you know we just built these last three homes that to me was very interesting i felt like and, and this probably isn't the case but i felt like it was just a group of people that decided that they were going to um get into bricklaying and they just do that on the island there was no branding and they were doing it in the weeds like it's not like they they bulldozed an area it was just like it was like like a house was being constructed in the middle of the weeds so like no excavation no slab board no foundation board or anything like that not nothing visible at least um and i think part of it is because a lot of them were building homes that had that had uh that, that were in disrepair i think a lot of the, the the construction was occurring on properties that would have been worth um a lot of money if they were maintained, but they weren't maintained. So they were really redoing some of these buildings. Um, I'm sure when new construction happens, it's like that. But the other thing is, is the foundation of these buildings, you can actually see like the old, like like the coral reef type rock that, w that, that made up the foundation of some of these buildings. So the foundation that they're built on is different than what we're used to. It's a lot of, um, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of uh, 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 limestone you know type type stuff that it's made out of but yeah i mean to answer your question i think that there's there's undoubtedly you can't you can't get around the city without um a taxi you can't um have a repair done in the city without um without 
somebody showing up and working on it, you really are connected to every person in that city, regardless of how um, rich or poor they are. So would you say there was a stronger sense of community or just a different sense of community from like what you experience here? Um, This kind of goes back to the conversation we had uh, with Michelle uh, two episodes ago, because I think community is glued together by certain items. I don't think that as a tourist, I was exposed to those items. Um, There was um, there were several churches on the island. I'm sure that they the the locals come together um, as a community there. I didn't see, it's not like there was like a, it's not like there was a water main break while we were there and all of a sudden everybody had to bind together. I didn't see that. Um, you know, there was a general, a, a general positive, you know, welcome to, uh, welcome to our island, welcome to Mexico feeling that we got. But uh, it was, it was actually, what I experienced was more of a referral program that we saw. So, this started with the wedding, of course, and then from the wedding we booked a home, and we booked a home close in proximity. We ended up going through like a home away, right? Something like that, like um, like a VRBO or like a whatever. But we went through home away, and with home away, the property manager sent us a welcome uh, packet. That welcome packet had the name of actual taxi drivers with their cell numbers. I mean, even though the taxi service on the island was all the same type of car and they all worked kind of as a fleet, we had like, like individual cell phone numbers of the taxi drivers. That's something that I'm just not used to. You know, there is no Uber. It's just, you know, Andrea, (laughs) Andrea speaks English, call Andrea, she'll come and pick you up. Um, then Andrea referred us to a guy that rented the golf carts. So, you know, it's like you got the, the building manager recommends the taxi, the taxi recommends, and then um, they had a list of restaurants that they recommended that we went to as well because the restaurants spoke English very well. Um, we had we, we had a late a late arrival and um, and our youngest drinks milk, and there was no stores open, but the pizza place delivered until midnight. So we call we call up this pizza place, and of course the first thing I ask is, uh, "Do you speak English?" And we had the, the milk for the for the the baby delivered with our pizza, and it's Ooh. something I've never done in the states before. Yeah, that's uh, when I used to travel a lot uh, for work. Like one of my this is well before Uber. One of like the most important things was to find a cab driver, like a good cabbie. That didn't didn't just start doing it, but I've been doing it for a while. Make friends, get his personal info, because I mean, they, if you're a good fare, you know what I mean. And I was always very generous with the tips because it paid off in the end. You know, they know the city, whatever you're looking for, <clears throat> whatever type of food you want to go to, whatever type of bar you want to go to, like wherever, whatever you need. Cabbies kind of had the had the the inside streak and they had the inside connection to network it's like invaluable to have i i wonder what uber will do to that which obviously it could be a similar thing but it could not be as well but uh i remember traveling it was really really important to like make contact less less uh less inside info more uh random sexual assault (laughs) not that i i just want to put the disclaimer out there uber is not a platform for sexual assault it is a transportation platform 
the sexual assault part is merely an added feature. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, Andrea picks us up and the first thing she tells us, she, she says, listen, um, we're going to go and we're going to give you some, uh, we're, I'm going to take you to a golf cart place. Um, you can choose to use them if you want to. And she says the posted rate for a golf cart is, you know, so-and-so U.S. dollars per hour. And she says the daily rate is so-and-so dollars per hour. She's like, so when this guy comes back and gives you the price for, you know, three, four, five days um, of renting this golf cart, it's, it's a discount on that original price, which is crazy because prices weren't posted anywhere. <laughs> So, like you said, you kind of rely on these people um, not only to navigate the city, um, but to also kind of help steer you away from uh, being ripped off in the city. So, how does how do you think that experience compares to uh, the Ocean City uh, adventure? Um, so, Ocean City, Maryland, was much more of you know just a U.S. commercialized tourist. You know, it, it, the ho- the idea of, of a hotel and everybody's at your service, that concept really um, was missing on the island. There was, a, there was a few hotels there, but for the most part, it was, um, uh, it was a lot of home rentals, which means, you know, there is no toast and jelly for breakfast. You got to go out, you got to do your shopping, but the shopping is still... It, it, the shopping is, is a little bit strange because I don't know about you guys, but if you, if you ever shopped for a family of five that is riding in a golf cart and then tried storing those groceries in that same golf cart, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a dog balance. If you buy too much, one of the kids is walking. Yeah. Oh, and you have to tie your bags up so that if it rains on the way back to your house, the, the, the groceries don't get soaked. So those types of things are, were a little bit different. Yeah, of course, once we got familiar with the island, one of us would go shopping and we'd have a little bit of extra room, but you still need somebody to hold on to the bags. Um, and w- one evening we actually went there with the golf cart and paid a taxi to bring our, to bring our groceries back. You know, you spend, you spend a hundred bucks on groceries. It's, it's a pretty good deal to spend an extra five bucks to get them home. What, uh, you mentioned resort life, um, talk about it and, uh, list some pro, list all the pros which i imagine there are plenty but i mean if there are any cons or anything like that talk about those two so the resort the resort was probably so the island kind of made sense right because you were you were living and there were some things that were closer to um like early the island made sense because not all of the infrastructure that, that we would have at home was there so it's just common sense the resort on the other hand was a little bit different of an experience for us um first of all have you guys been on a resort before? I've never, I've personally never been to a resort, no. So my experience is very limited because I've only done it once and we only did it for a few days. But the resort that we did was, um, I want to say it was 13 story hotel. And uh, the hotel rooms were, you know, enclosed, but the, like the inside of all of the hotel rooms, all the hotel rooms, like you could walk in and it, you, you could see up and down all the other hotel rooms, but it was technically outside. There was like a glass roof, but it was technically outside. So as soon as you walk out of your hotel room, um, even though you're still within the resort, you're getting hit with, you know, humid 80 degree weather. Um, the resort's 
First of all, we were treated like like red carpet when we got there. That we were not used to. So we show up and you know a whole bunch of people greet us. There's a bunch of security checkpoints. They make sure we are who we are. They, we must have been asked our name five times before we even got to the front desk. And this concierge just comes up and she's like our best buddy. And this was very strange to me because this wasn't an expensive resort. So I didn't know why we had earned this concierge treatment. They take our luggage. Um, they count all of our luggage items and give us a ticket. They're like, and they double checked with us. So apparently they're either, either they've had luggage stolen from this resort or they're dealing with customers that are used to having luggage stolen because they made sure that we acknowledged how many luggage items we had and then they set them aside. They give all of us a drink. So I got a drink in my hand. My wife's got a drink in her hand and all the kids got a sippy, you know, a little, a little cup they can sip, sip out of. And then we go and we start the check-in process. Um, one thing they did smart there is the hotel keys were on a wristband that could not be removed. So that was new to us. So you had like wristbands that you could not, you couldn't get off your wrist? We is could that what not get off our wrist. We had to sleep with them on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were, um, you know, they were like plastic wristbands, but the, the adult wristbands had, um, had an RFID chip inside them. And with that chip, we could get, gain access to our room. So that was nice because you never had to remember your key. That was one of the that was one of the positive things um, from there. So they give us these wristbands. Um, the something I really didn't expect is they rationed the towels there. So in order to use a towel, because this resort has like like some swim areas, in order to to get towels, you have to exchange a card for a towel. And then at any point in time, you can go to any other towel area and exchange the towel back and get your card back. So even though you don't need a card to enter your room, you did need a card to get a towel. Huh. All right. I've never heard of that before. Well, it's interesting. And the penalties for losing your bracelet or your towel card were very high. Really? Like, I want to say over $100 US. Whoa. For a towel card? I mean, yeah. I guess I could see like the bracelet, like maybe with the... With the tech or whatever with it, maybe that's how they justify that. But Jesus, a towel card, you could, that's, that's pretty insane. And welcome to the hospitality industry. I guess so, huh? And the front desk for this place was, is technically outdoors. So that's something that I've never seen in the States before. A lot of it has to do with the climate in Cancun, but you actually just walk into a big open, um, thing It's covered. Um, and that's where the front desk is. So I believe that the reason the bracelets were so cherished is that if is that somebody else could come in and use all the amenities of the resort using your bracelet um, if your bracelet was lost. So that's why the penalties were so high. They may they might have lacked certain technologies to track those bracelets. Like um, for example, the bracelet had an RFID chip to get in and out of the room, but that's really not something that they're concerned about people stealing, right? The hotel's not going to lose money if somebody sleeps in my room. They will lose money if somebody eats my meals, right? And since you didn't have to use an RFID chip to, to sit down um, at the restaurants, because this is an all-inclusive resort, uh, that's really where they're going to lose the money. And that could be $100 a day or more, you know, if that, if that bracelet was lost. Um, 
so that was that was the bracelets and that was the towels. So we get our we get our cards for our towels and we get our bracelets put on, which we can't take off, and there's hefty fines if we if we lose them. And we get we sit down with this concierge. She like sits us down at a table, and she's sweet talking the kids. And I'm thinking, I'm like, why? This place can house like I don't know, maybe a thousand guests. Why are they giving us the red carpet treatment? And I don't know if you if you sense what I'm getting into, what the next conversation was, but she was trying to convince us to sit through a one hour seminar the next day, like a timeshare thing. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. There's always a catch, regardless of how much you pay. There's always a catch. The last time, the last time I had to book a hotel room for a summer adventure here, I had to add one day. And it wasn't part of a block. It wasn't part of a block. And it went from, okay, I'm okay paying extra money for this one day to actually, no, before we finish this, we need you to just talk to somebody. Blah, 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 blah. Hello, would you like to, would you like to take advantage of our time? Or, you know, be, the, the Hilton basically was pushing, you know, our, our partnership program or something like that. And it's like, you can have discount rates if you go to Las Vegas or, and it's like, just, no, I didn't, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> Yeah, well, everyone's got a rewards program well, now, and all you have to do is give them your information. Just sell me information. It's like you're already a license. You already own a license to print money. Why are you calling? Why get off my dick? Get and, off my dick. And this woman, I mean, it was clear that she had rehearsed this so many times, and she did such a good job. And she's going over, and she says, "Oh yes, that's included. Oh yes, that pool's included. Oh yes, that restaurant's included. Um, okay, that's no children. You can bring children here." And then she gets to the massage parlor. Oh my god. And when she gets to the massage parlor, she says, no, that's not included. But mom and dad get one free massage if they sit through a one-hour seminar tomorrow morning. Can you, would you guys be interested in doing that? And um, I look at my, you know, my, my wife's nodding. She's like, yeah, 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 I want a massage. And I look at her and I'm like, no. Are you, are you doing I don't want to spend an hour. And are you she, doing the eyebrow conversation? What's crazy, yeah, it, what's crazy is this woman pretty much gets up and leaves our table, just leaves us to the hotel as soon as I say no. It is the moment she found out that, you know, I had like this, this sense of please get away from me with this, this timeshare. Um, she just left. Well, she went, as soon as she knew that she was in the presence of someone who was, was going to be rigid with it because they know, <clears throat> well, geez, you, you live with a salesman for, most of your childhood, <laughs> for all of your childhood, essentially. As soon as she knew that you recognized it, she's she was going to be done with it because she knew that it wouldn't matter what she had to say. Yeah, and and you know she's like she's like, well, can you just sit through it? There's no obligation to it. Can you just sit through it for me? You know, because of course she probably gets a kickback when people show up to these seminars. Um, but I, I've learned the hard way that you really have to shut some of these things down early. Um, yes. It, it, I may have felt a little bit guilty because she had dedicated so much time to this warm welcome, but I would feel even more guilty after a full-blown hour with, uh, you know, with whatever, you know, whatever team would have pitched that. Yeah, because you know, you're ultimately you know, you're wasting their time, essentially, because you have no interest in it, and <clears throat> you're also wasting your own time. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's the stress of being sold when you really have no interest but like you kind of you it's a weird weird dynamic because you know you're getting something out of it right that is a value to you 
but you're only going through the motions to get that thing. But these people are there to like really try and sell you on this thing. It's like, it's a, it's a weird, it's a mixture of like responsibility and like regret and like pressure and and all that stuff that you're smart. You were definitely smart to just avoid with all costs of shutting it down early. I told her, I said, I'll just pay for this massage out of pocket. I have no problem doing that. If it's worth it. So that was that was our red carpet rollout, and that was very interesting to us. We're like, well, you know what? And this this was one of the cheaper resorts, and we booked it because it was something that we could afford. And um, the reviews were mixed on this place. Um, it had undergone uh, new management, so that had that had changed a little bit, and some of the, some of the complaints had been addressed. And we watched the history over the year because we booked it, you know, maybe six months ago, um, and we were researching it before we booked it. So we watched the history of the comments go from really bad to better to good. Um, So we felt pretty comfortable going to this place. But one thing that resonated, no matter who was making the comments, whether they were five stars or one stars, everybody seemed to complain about the food there. So we went to this resort knowing that, that there was complaints about the food. So the food is really, it's really the, 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 probably the final point for this resort because besides besides the water parks the weird thing with the towels the wristbands you know it's a resort's a resort um the food was an interesting thing and it was not so much the food itself um i find conversation about food mostly boring it was about the uh the problem that the resort introduced by making food all-inclusive and this is something I'd never experienced in my life before. So our first meal was at the buffet. Um, they call it a, a buffet, but they also call it a food court. And the reason they do that is because it's laid out like a food court, but there is, um, y- you can go up and get as much food as you want. But what was interesting is most of the, so it had like an Asian section, it had like a grill, it had um, like an Italian section. And, but I'd say about half of it was made to order. So it wasn't really a buffet from, you know, hey, you go up and you got a big bin of dried up pasta and you got to add sauce to it. It was, uh, it, it was, it was one of the better buffets I've been to. So it was good. So like a Mongolian uh, barbecue, Very essentially. Very similar to the Mongolian barbecue, right? Where you go up and you tell them what you want and they mix it up for you. That part we really, really liked. And when we first sat down, we were like, well, I don't understand why people are complaining about the food here. Well, the interesting thing was that was the best food that we had. We decided the following night there was a place, and I, I got to paint the picture because this is really going to help. You walk up and there's this beautiful hostess, and she's standing next to this huge lighthouse. And the name of the restaurant is Lighthouse. Of course, each restaurant needs a name and needs a theme. And we walk up to this hostess and we got a, we got a party of five. And uh, we say, hey, you know, we'd like a table for five. And she says, okay, it's going to be five minutes. Go sit at the bar while you're waiting. Well, th- since everything's inclusive, my wife and I are like, we're going to go get some cocktails. We got five minutes to wait. By the time they come out, we'll have our cocktails finished and we'll get seated. The cocktails are okay. We get some margaritas. and um, But it's not five minutes. It's one minute. So I'm not even sure why she told us there would be a wait because there was clearly already a table ready. It doesn't, you can't bust a table in 60 seconds and then come back. 
we go in and this place is empty. Okay, this in the, so it was called the lighthouse and it's supposed to be an Italian restaurant. And the description was um, a la carte slash buffet. We figured buffet would be good because if they got meatballs up there, our kids like meatballs and whatever, we'll be able to, we'll be able to tackle them. And then my wife and I can order something fancy. At the entrance where the hostess is, there's lobsters in a tank. Okay? Now, I don't know what the fuck Cancun thinks that means, but in the United States, that means you can order a fucking lobster. No, they're actual pets. <laughs> there's no purpose of having them at the entrance they're unless they're on the menu. They're just, I, I, at least that's the impression that I've gotten from all of the, you know, all of the dining um, in the United States. They're guard animals. So, um, needless to say, there was, there was absolutely no lobster anywhere on the menu. Um, and there, it, there wasn't any a la carte. Uh, you couldn't order anything. It was just a buffet. Um, and the buffet was, I mean, it was mediocre. I, it, we really, we really would have been happier at the food court. It was like they got the Italian section of the food court, let it dry in containers instead of making it fresh to order. There was no guy making the food like there was in the food court. So it was a very strange experience for us to go through this whole dining process when we should have just gone back to the original food court. It sounds almost like like a spillover. Like if the food court gets too busy, you can have this semi-warmed portion of the buffet. That's exactly what we observed. What we observed was families wanted to sit down and have table service for dinner only. And this resort was trying to cater to that. So what they were doing was they were pushing the food out to these restaurants. But it's, it's just so bizarre because why have a hostess if, if it's a buffet, right? If you don't have a waiter, what's the purpose of being seated? You either look and find a table or you don't. Like, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Then once we were sat down, there was nobody that would come around to our table to ask us what we wanted to drink. So I'm like, well, are we going to go up and get our own drinks? How does this place work? Well, my wife finally got, um, she finally got fed up and she just went up and grabbed food without any drinks. And while she was up grabbing food, a waiter came, came by and he, he asked us what we wanted to drink. So I, got, I ordered some drinks and I said to him, I said, I would like some more margaritas because the bar next door to this restaurant was the guy that just made us the ones that we thought were pretty good. The ones that he brought back were like half the size and they were warm. And I, I, I think they were just the mix. It was too sweet. I, we, we couldn't drink them. But it was a very interesting experience for us because first of all, you have the same guy mixing drinks completely different for people that are sitting down versus people that are up at the bar. Um, I don't know why anybody would even do that. It didn't even, even make any sense in my brain. This facade of a restaurant, which really just a fake version of a buffet, but it's actually worse than, than the food court. And nobody would expect the food court to be great dining. So uh, we said, well, you know what, let's give it, let's give it a second chance. And uh, the next night we actually dropped our kids off. It, they, they have a, like a daycare system. There. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, of course, at that point it was evening, but we dropped our kids off and we, uh, and we went to uh, a Japanese restaurant. They had a Japanese restaurant there. And that was even stranger because we had, I think, four waiters, which is just rings. For two people? Yeah, yeah, but it is because it's the, it's this strange like like broken buffet dining thing, right? Because in a buffet, it doesn't matter who comes to your table, right? There could be ten people working, whoever comes by your table. Yeah, they're just getting drinks, like yeah, right. Um, and uh, 
my food came out, my, my wife's food came out 20 minutes before mine did. They didn't even deliver the entrees at the same time, which was very strange. And the appetizer that they gave us was very obviously something that was pre-made at the food court, had cooled down, they threw it under a heat lamp, and then we ate it. So that was interesting to me, and it's less interesting the food, because whatever, you get good food, you get bad food, but this concept that once you de-incentivize a waiter to rack up your bill and to work for tips, and, and we did tip each waiter, by the way, even if it was a crap tip, we gave him something, because they were working. I don't know what their hourly wage is there. Once you de-incentivize that, everything starts to crumble apart. I never realized how important it was on the food industry that you do get quick service, that you do come back with more drinks, that you come back with the food on time. All of those things are really like... I always used to be upset with the idea that a waiter made such a small wage and earned their entire salary and tips, but... After having dined in a place where they pretend to be a restaurant, but the waiter does not have that incentive, I have to say, you know what? I think the tip process is working pretty damn well. Yeah, I mean, it all depends. I guess it, the there's pluses and minuses. The minuses are like you could just have some cheap bastard that's going to stiff you regardless. You know what I mean? Like because they don't feel. I resemble that remark. <laughs> You suck then for Gunner for doing that. If no, you really do. I, I, I don't I, believe I, I, that for 20, a second. 20, 25%. Yeah, that's that's fair. But yeah, the, the bad part is you can have a really good waiter, you know, trying to get a tip and then they just totally get stiffed or yeah. boned by some, like I said, some cheap, cheapskate or whatever. So, but I, I think for the most part, I mean, isn't that kind of the basis of free well, I, trade, right? Like you do a better job, you make more money. Right. R- really, really, it's a more question of how much tolerance you have to someone actually wiping your ass with some part of your meal or wiping their ass with some part of your meal. Yeah, well, that's a whole... The perspective, you know, <laughs> perspective-wise. And, and that's what my wife said. She's like, you know, I would rather drive through... Um, I'd rather drive through a monsoon in a golf cart with no fucking windshield um, to get a few pesos out of an ATM and then drive back and get the food from the nearby restaurant because that nearby restaurant is actually fighting to compete with the, with the other ones that are in that city. They're fighting from a service perspective. I mean, they'd throw a little extra alcohol in her cocktails. They would, uh, they, they, they knew her by name by the second time she arrived, the incentive or, you know, maybe competition. Um, I never realized how important that was in the food industry. And all, all industries, so we're, uh, speaking of industries and industry leaders, uh, it was announced on Friday, this past Friday, that Google would not be seeking a re-up of uh, their a, a government contract, specifically a military contract. Um, the project was called Project Maven. Uh, it looks like the social backlash on this uh, has caused them to uh, has turned to a PR nightmare well, very quickly. Well, they had a bunch of like uh, A list engineers quit too. Right, dozens of like very essential like the, people. The, yes, the, the the machine learning people because you know it's a big surprise. Oh, we're doing this thing to index all of the information of humanity. Oh, there's military applications for profiling people. 
So yeah, so a, a quick rundown of this project, Maven. Uh, Google accepted a contract last September, so September 2017, um, with the military uh, to develop artificial intelligence that essentially uh, surveys an entire city, identifying vehicles specifically, but buildings as well. They pushed it. There were agreements with the government um, that they could not be the government never mentioned ai in the uh in any press release or any information they released it was they wanted the government to push more of a narrative of more of oh this is like storage and um security type of type of things like with the cloud because it is google clouds that that division is what headed this up air quote masturbatory gesture in response to that statement but the truth was is that it was artificial intelligence, and it was used for. It was essentially uh, developed for drones. Like so, we have thousands of drones in the air over all over the globe. Well, it's, uh, there's 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 that that whole the whole Gorgon stair thing, where basically you have perpetual surveillance of a fifty square mile area, and you can that it's it's the it's the same deal. It's like you're not spying on everyone if you're watching. You're not spying on anyone. If you're simultaneously watching everyone and you can just determine where they are after the fact. What the execs said, they said uh, they tried to downplay everything when this information first came out, I believe in March. Um, they tried to say, oh, we're just developing an open source software for uh, for the military to, to use and whatever they kind of do with it. But the fact was, is that in emails it was released and described as a Google Earth like surveillance system where an operator mm-hmm. could click on a building and all of its information in that building, tenants, people that have visited there, people that visited it regularly, vehicles that visited that property, they could click on a vehicle. It was a like a graphical interface of a Google Earth type of program. Now, in this case, um, you said there was backlash, but the backlash wasn't that they withdrew from the contract. The backlash is why they withdrew from the contract, correct? Yeah, because essentially what they touted this as is, oh... We only have so many professional operators that can surveil with this artificial intelligence. It can identify potential threats and bring that to the operator, and they can make the decision. Project Insight. Which I don't know what Project Insight you is. You, you didn't see, you, you, someone, despite their Marvel obsession, did not watch Captain America the oh, Winter yeah. Soldier. Oh, yeah, Hydra's. Yes, okay. Uh, yes. I, 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 Okay, so actually, that's a really good reference. So anybody that watched Captain America: Winter Soldier, which Pace probably didn't. No, how about the Born, uh, the Born movies? That so, was very similar to the Born, but go more high tech and more information like happening, but actually happening now. Like actually, it's it's like surpassed that level, mm-hmm. um, almost I'd say. But like uh, the the problem is like these AI systems were identifying um, vehicles specifically. Like that were there was something kind of shady or off about them with a ninety percent accuracy vehicles that ex, even the experts had missed. But the problem is if you follow this further, like let's go down the rabbit hole. Okay, so now we have operators. We're bringing this all this information to the operators, and ninety percent of the time it's correct. So they could say, okay, we're gonna fire a strike. We're gonna send in a force to eliminate it or whatever. How far do you really have? Is it really of a stretch to say? No, the AI is doing a good enough job. Let it make the decision. We don't even need the AI to make the decision. Well, you know, and again, the flip side of this, 
as we go back to so there there's really you know b- besides uh maven there there's two there's two fundamental because you know i think you were you were talking about that because it's, it's not just google there are a whole bunch of people who who, who dip their wicks in that that this disaster um but microsoft seven eight years ago had demoed a technology where effectively they can follow someone through they can follow someone through a neighborhood with non-conjoined cameras like they can just plot like they can pick people out like their image recognition routines were so good that even if they couldn't get a picture of their face they could infer who they like a person was and they could follow them in real time well even like the gait of their walk like, yes like could be identified well and this goes back this goes back to this other thing which is that um i University in California had done demos with it, but they call it Gorgon Stare. And it is this array of really shitty cell phone camera imagers. But they have, you know, you have multiple 9, 10 megapixel sensors in this like 60 by 60 array. And the trick is, is that they can do the infinite zoom, you know, where you go back is that you're pulling all this data in and where Google and the other people come in is that you can actually process and do useful stuff with it. But Gorgon Stare is effectively intended that you can perpetually surveil everyone and you don't need warrants or anything like that because I'm not I'm not surveilling an individual. I'm just watching an area and then if it's stuff post facto, it's you know it's it's like um when the NSA does or the NSA or the NRO starts doing uh checks on phone calls and stuff like that. They're cataloging all that activity so somebody else can go back and look at it once it becomes relevant. So do, so do you guys think that Google pulled out as a PR um, just because they they wanted to be perceived like they were against this? Or do you think that, hey, you know what, they got the technology, the government got the technology that they needed, Google gave them that technology, and the government still has it. And um, do, you, do you think that Google actually pulled out everything out or do you think that it was something where they were using government equipment and the government actually has all of the uh, intellectual property that Google wrote because you know because they signed a contract because it's difficult to get out of some of these contracts so they're, they're completing the contract they've not pulled out of the contract if I said that I misspoke they're completing their contract but they are not going for the re-up so how Google played this off like a big part of this story was in these emails that were leaked, mm-hmm. it was like, we, this could be a PR nightmare if they find out that we're analyzing drone footage, that, that this is what this is used for. Um, but they tried to downplay this as far as, as far as their narrative of saying, oh, it's just an open, so open source project. You know, it's a small amount of money. We're not even getting paid a lot for it. So they, they reported that the original contract was only, um, I think, 15 million or, fi- or like, $10 million, which is a lie. It was actually $15 million, which the incentives were to grow that, the contract that they're currently under now, to $250 million. Not a lot of money for Google, right? $100 billion corporation. However, they were pursuing, which they're now not going to now, now not going to go after, the next contract that was coming up was a $10 billion contract. Well, that is a significant amount of money. Well, right. Google's not pursuing, but some subsidiary that started under Alphabet will, you know... I. Google, Google, Google's always had like kind of iffy ties with the military industrial complex since it started, anyways. But this is one of these things where I wish you guys had watched uh, Person of Interest. I do. do you, okay, because this this is totally they're totally fucking building Samaritan. Yeah. So uh, wait, I don't know if you've seen Person of Interest, but it's it's exactly what Gunner described. Um, that uh, that he claims Microsoft had the technology for, um, and yeah, it's what it does is it. It's kind of like 
I mean, it's definitely a dystopian thing, although the, the show sells, it doesn't sell it as dystopian because they say it's a black box. They say there's no human. It's just AI. And what it does is uh, the, the plot behind this fictional show, Persons of Interest, is when the computer detects a threat, it, it pretty much prints a social security number. And then it's up to a team of, of ethical people to find out why. Is that person, does that person need to be killed? because they could be a threat or does that person need to be saved and saving them um, if they're not saved as a threat to the nation? And it's a black box that monitors everybody and everything. Now, it's it's pretty cool because what they do is they do a really good job of visualizing how a person would perceive a computer tracking everything. So like uh, planes are triangles in the sky. So you'll see it's a shitty surveillance camera on a street corner, but as a plane goes in the distance, you'll see a triangle tracking it and it'll have the flight number on there. Um, if a person walks in front of the camera, it's tracking them from camera to camera. And the idea is that it has access to everybody's webcam. So if you got your laptop open in a coffee shop, this computer has access to it. Um, every, um, every surveillance camera. It's a cool idea, but it, really rides on the premise that every single camera everywhere in the world is accessible real time by one centralized computer. Is this kind of like, did anybody see the recruit with Colin Farrell and uh, Al Pacino? No, I did not. Ah, never mind that. It's Eagle Eye. To reference it. Eagle Eye, Black Ice was like this virus that could get into well, every you know, electronic but it, it actually, whatever, so, and, like. You know, it did, it did that point, too, is that maybe I'm, maybe I'm misremembering. Cause it, so, um, Person of Interest actually had two competing systems. So there's one called the machine, which is what Trace is talking about, and like you know the number that's coming up was it's kind of the you know it's kind of that that threat because I I don't remember if it was a threat or basically it was people who were under threat. That was the numbers that the machine provided. The machine never told you why. Okay, and that was part of I mean, kind of describing the show a little bit, but that was kind of how the the machine was pure, because the machine allowed human. Uh, judgment and human bias to determine uh, what, why this person was a threat. But they could be in danger of dying. They could be the danger. It just told this team of like, I don't know, I guess they'd be like the Navy SEALs of spies, but they're like internal and you, you kind of need to fly under the radar because you know, it, it, was, it was for the United States. So you're some... In, in the show, they had like the computer guy who flew under the covers, and then you had like the kind of the agent, the guy who could, you know, field agent, yeah, yes. badass, the, the clean, badass, the, yeah, the cleaner. He could, he could break a neck, you know, and do whatever. And the, but the two of them needed to be completely undetected by. They can't have they can't have a, a, a driver's license. They can't have a fingerprint, right? I mean, they have to be expunged from every electronic system. Um, so that they could never be detected. Like the Men in Black. Yes. Yes. Very similar to the Men in Black. Without all the fancy futuristic cool stuff. Just a super smart um, Xbox One sitting in the corner that nobody can get to. Well, you know, and, and where this gets where this gets interesting, too, is that like with Maven and Amazon and Facebook and stuff like that. But one person of interest is that it got towards the end of it. Um they the machine was not considered useful enough in that context or it was it had subverted its original purpose 
So there was another group that basically had brought on a competing system called Samaritan. And Samaritan was very much like Project Insight, where instead of, here's this, here this flag point, I need you to address it. It's like, I've detected a potential threat. I will dispatch resources to negotiate that threat. So you're, it's essentially, I mean, this is also, because I, don't, I didn't watch that show, but the first thing I thought of when I read this article, it was in Gizmodo um, and the person that wrote it actually uh her name is kate conger she actually is pretty good so she had a lot of good articles but i immediately kind of jumped to terminator 2 i mean wasn't isn't that what skynet was like wasn't like a defense system that went on i became self-aware went uh, online and nuked the world like to, to, to be fa- to be fair uh america didn't build skynet that's actually the uh british uh, automated defense system that they, they because you know there's no there's no fucking sense of teasing the universe with anything when you name these things like you know, or the or the Japanese the Japanese company that's building humanoid assist exoskeletons and humanoid robots called Cyberdyne Systems. Cause fuck you, that's why. <laughs> but I, I uh, so when you asked, do I think that they, from the information that the, I've gathered from the articles, do I think Google has completely pulled out? Um, I doubt it. It's way too lucrative a thing. Do I think that they're probably have shadow companies uh, that they're kind of trying to acquire on some shady ends to try and get get back into it i would say so but at this point google's so big i mean they they pulled out for two reasons one 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 the number one the most important is the bad pr the pr killed it like once everyone found out it was ai for drones and and followed the the next path of this is like you're creating this surveillance state like you're helping you know big brother essentially you are, you are google is becoming big brother i think it was google it, is big brother well yeah but what they, once they, you kind of identified that it's no good but then people started leaving like thousands of on top of the dozens of the top like developers that left because of this thousands of employees at google signed petitions that they wanted out of this it needs to be done so i'm sure that they're not unionized but I think they hurt enough of their people and it hurt them enough that they lost all their lead, like a lot of their lead developers that they were like, we can't, we're just going to take, we're just going to get beat to crap for this. It's not the juice is not going to be worth the squeeze because the other people that are competing three, um, noticeable names, actually Gunner named them all, uh, Amazon, uh, Microsoft and IBM actually were the other three majors that were competing for this $10 billion contract. Let's be fair. It's not IBM. It's the contracting develop the contracted developing firms that IBM has in India. That's they're actually, but I think the difference with Google is when you think of IBM, um, Amazon, and even Microsoft, you typically don't get the warm fuzzies that you typically do with Google. You know, the, the Google brand Usually, most people can feel pretty good about this. However, they said they're 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 revamping everything. There there's a new new ethical principles because it's funny you mentioned ethics with that uh, thing. They're they're that's what they're developing now. They're going to develop a whole set of new ethical principles moving forward in their business ventures. They took so, out do no evil. So Microsoft <laughs> had something. I don't know how popular it has become over the years, but they had something with um, with Bing with augmented reality. Um, It wasn't so much augmented reality, though. Uh, But what you could do is you could take a picture of a restaurant and it would superimpose that on the street view, on the Bing Maps. Microsoft had that. So when I think of of a good competitor to Google, 
uh, Microsoft is, is definitely the first that comes to mind because that Bing technology, I mean, I'm talking more than five years old. So you think about how good just the cameras come since then. So when you're talking about mapping out um, uh, buildings and uh, uh, satellite footage of a city and stuff like that, Microsoft seems like a great candidate. Not that it's a great concept. Um, it's probably a dangerous concept, especially if AI is involved. So that's, I think, a Microsoft there. Uh, Microsoft is doing very well, by the way. Microsoft... Um, they, I want to say this past quarter, it was announced that they had just crept back ahead of Google. I don't know if that's correct, but they're doing very well. This quarter, the numbers that they published this quarter, Microsoft is doing surprisingly well. So the, the CEO that they got going on, um, he is... He's, he's, he's making choices that are putting money back in Microsoft's pocket, which is interesting because we don't really think of Microsoft like that anymore. Microsoft is kind of like the old guy in the block. Google's the new guy. But Microsoft is, is, is doing very well. Um, when it comes to IBM, I think of AI. Nobody really comes close to AI like Watson. And Watson's the guy that beat all the, the, uh, the, the Jeopardy um, Contestants. Watson is also the computer that's being purposed to do um, it, a lot of it's in the healthcare industry now, right, yeah. Connor? That's a medical diagnostics. Yep. Is that yeah. correct? Well, you know, Watson, Watson is effectively the 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 lamps the, the lamp stat or you know the Linux Apache MySQL PHP stack of uh, expert systems at this point. You know, and again, me, me, the medical industry kind of leans back towards it, but. I don't know. Google's Google's doing their best to give them. Or actually, I should say, uh, Open Mind is doing their their best to give them a run for their money. I mean, I don't know if you you heard. I mean, like uh, you've seen the product demos and stuff like that, and they're they're kind of in trouble from a legal standpoint right now because I guess they didn't like disclose when they were doing their robot demo calls that they were recording Who's those this? calls. You didn't see the the so uh, Google has a uh, and I think we I, I've talked about this before with you a couple times. The, so they bought they bought this AI company in England. That's this non you know basically it doesn't require human supervision, mm-hmm. but it's a general it's not a general purpose artificial intelligence, but it is it is a stack that basically can teach itself. But one of its functions that they've been doing is human speech interpretation and, and human you know basically speech itself. Right. And they were doing it's their as part of their expert system, like IBM has Watson basically doing index lookups and mm-hmm. open mind is more like general, like general problem solving cases. And they had like their last big Google or a, or was it IO conference? You know, they're the, the mm-hmm. they had done a demo of this where they basically had the, their digital assistant call restaurants and service locations and talk uh, yes. to people on the phone mm-hmm. to negotiate appointments without like like they were, they were you know it's the other way around instead of them taking a booking it is actually mm-hmm. them negotiating with this person on the other end of the line to, to sort out sure the appointment and so do you think like google is or open mind i should say which is uh is that the next level is that the, have they kind of started to develop the next step of ai development um I, you know and and, and again we're we're I don't. I don't think. We, I don't think we have Neuromancer or anything like that, or uh, you know, Skynet. But we're getting to the point where functionally it doesn't really matter because people aren't going to be able. You know, people aren't going to just be able to get their heads around the idea that there's any difference. 
And, and there's going to be two things. Um, one of them is going to be the artificial intelligence. And that's why it's, I'm curious to know how much, how much of the uh, intellectual property has been, is, already, is yeah. already in the hands of the government. Because when, when you're talking the difference between a $25 million contract and what was the... $10 billion is what and, they were and pursuing. $10 billion. Yeah. What you're really talking about is some of that might be development money. But usually when you get into costs that high, it's because um, it's, you know, you got the time and resources, but it's really the resources. So if you have to go, like if you think about Google Maps or you think about um, Apple Maps or you think about um, whatever, TomTom or Garmin, whoever, and they're going around and they're taking pictures of every single major highway, that costs a lot of dollars. It costs dollars for the cameras. But if you want the cameras to be executed in the course of every six months, then you need to get those cars and you need to buy the cars, you need to buy the cameras and you need to put all of that equipment somewhere. So those types of resources, plus you got to pay people to man them. So when you see something grow exponentially like that, what you what we could be observing is that the next step of Google's project was to start to collect the data. But the processing of the data may already be complete. And that's the part that's a little bit scary. But there's already some AI engines out there that can process image data. What, what I don't know is I don't know what the really what the end goal of this project was. Was it so that the United States could surveil the entire world? Was it so the United States could surveil the United States? Well, the military pushed it as <clears throat> making it safer for all civilians, both you know here and abroad or here and foreign. So this wasn't. They didn't necessarily say that this was um, for just war zones. It definitely wasn't just for war zones. This was for uh, extremist, extreme ter- extremist terrorists were, were noted. And I think the word evil was actually even used. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but this was uh, intended just to, I mean, they could justify that here. Oh, we think we found a terrorist no, cell it, in Canastota, New it York. Is, it is for here. Because yeah, really- it's not... And I understand that, Gunner, but it's not, they're not going to say, we're here to fucking surveil you. You know what I mean? Like, we're here to look at you. Yes, you are right. They've developed it to, to, to retain control and have the ability to surveil. But yes, are our phones always listening to us? Sure. Does the CIA give a fuck what Wade Mariano has to say? Probably not. Oh, that's where Open Mind comes in. Well, so, so seven years right. ago, I remember looking at satellite footage of my own, my, well, of my father's property. And... I could tell based on that photo, I could tell when the photo was taken because because the the arrangement of my father's property had changed. Um, but I could actually make out the cars. You know, I knew that I had a yellow car and my dad had a white car and that my brother had a had a different car. And I could look at that and be like, oh well, that was my father's white car in the driveway. Now I couldn't make out from the picture the type of car that it was. I had to know. That he had that he had a white car registered in that in, in the make and model of that, but that was seven years ago, and those were the images that were available to the general public through a Bing or through a Google. So if you were to get just the satellite imaging and how it's improved over the years, but maybe not so much the imaging. It might actually be more of a storage problem, where um, it, it seven years ago it cost a lot of money to store like a super high resolution photo of everybody's backyard. Now storage is cheaper. Um, so if you think about just satellite imaging alone, the data collection may already be 
there, right? It may already be happening. We know a lot of it already is happening. It's already so. Well, this is and, and even that you don't really need to keep all the data is if you if you can market if you can do the the markup on it. Right. So the 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 video itself isn't really useful. You just want the the, the extraneous information related to the right, video. Right. So, so the data is already in. They so already have the data. So it's how do you infer information from the imaging in this case, um, if it's just straight imaging. And that's when that's when it starts getting creative, where you can combine it with other things. So if, if there was a worm that broke into everybody's cameras, then you would have the inside and the outside of the homes. And that starts to get scary. And that goes into like the persons of interest thing that Gunnar was talking about. If it's all being collected by the government, and I don't know. I do know, I mean, I got an email and it said, please reboot your router. Right. I don't know if you guys saw that in the news, but it's like, please reboot your router. There was millions of routers, um, router being the, the device at home that gets you all connected to the Internet um, through your cable or fiber or whatever you got for home Internet. I said, reboot your router. And it's because there was a um, the, the routers, a lot of routers on the market use very similar software under the covers. There was an exploit found and all of them were being run as um some type of bot. Like a bot, yeah. <clears throat> now, your router being compromised, does that mean that the router can get into your webcam and the webcam can get to your house? Technologically, generally speaking, no, right? But does that mean that the router might be able to manipulate a web page that you see and get you to install something that has access to your camera? Maybe that becomes a little bit more plausible. So I'd say that once they have the outside and the inside, life starts to get pretty creepy. They've had the outside of our homes for a long time. Um, also, how often are those pictures taken? They're, even if they have a picture of your backyard once an hour, what information can they infer? So essentially, this is actually something that they did touch on because Google tried to say, like, well, we don't even have the, the, the access that you need, which is called FedRAMP. Um, and they... Do. <laughs> right, exactly. Like so, the FedRAMP, uh, it comes in different tiers, and the tier they didn't. It's essentially it authorizes cloud um, cloud companies mm-hmm. access to government stuff. That being said, they were being put on the fast track to be getting that. So it's not it's it's a ridiculous argument. It just it was just another frail attempt at saying, oh, we're we're doing no wrong here. We're, we're right. We're not, but so they didn't have. I don't believe they had direct drone footage. Um, they were kind of supplied the footage from the military that was allowed, allegedly. Um, but regardless, like it was done, like the project is done, the the contract is is finished. Like whatever they started is done. I think that they've gotten out because the PR is so bad. And when you start seeing uh, airstrikes on targets that were identified through Google's through Maven. They were like, it's over for us. Like, where? I, I don't think that they felt that their brand could recover from that. Right. Um, now, as far as AI, I want to just turn this just to a small direction. Gunner is Open Mind essentially the? Would you say the leading the leading uh, AI developer, or are there some fringe guys that are doing some pretty crazy stuff? Or I mean, usually have the have your finger on the pulse there. No, I, again, it, it, it's. Open Mind is the one that has been most publicly discussed because Google's trying, you know, again, like Google kind of has the, 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 the movement behind it. But 
um, I would be very surprised if there isn't some parallel efforts like on the East Coast, you know, like around the, the, the Carnegie Mellon area. Yeah, like Uber bought out CMU, so... Uh, you know, all that all that fun stuff kind of got co-opted because a, a lot a lot of the a lot of these, te- you know, like st- the West Coast right now seems to get the most pop, but that's because everybody is out in Silicon Valley and all the Silicon Valley guys basically come from st- Stanford. Um, but there is a there is a bunch. Of, I mean, like you know, at M- M- MIT and Carnegie Mellon, there's got to be a couple companies kicking or you know, like the, the the thing is, is that this is like basically literally the last license to print money because once you get an AGI or, or an artificial general intelligence that actually works effectively, you've become the gut, you've become the priest of the new god king of the universe. Yeah, and, and do you think that's true? Do you think that AI is the next tech boom? practical like a, a, a an actual an actual or like right now i mean there there's a whole you know google's trying to push it uh unfortunately there's a lot of enslavement <laughs> connotations that come from persistent artificial general intelligences around human populations at this point but i i think i think that thinking machines is the net like actual general purpose thinking machines are the next like big te- you know Computers themselves were, you know, computers themselves brought a lot of stuff in. But if you can just have a actual general problem solver, that's a license to print money. I mean, you know, we're already, we're already, fa- you know, like again, the, we, we've already had the phase out in industrial production. Like, yeah, robots and, and you know, whether, the, whether their arms are dedicated machines replacing people in factories and... Half, half, half the shit we do is service jobs that map pretty much on an eighty percent basis to if we got a machine that's good enough. Right. So yeah, I think I think I think as soon as I think as soon as you have one that can answer the phone and doesn't do the fucking Apple Newton iHeart Melman instead of you know like it, you know like it does the the the, the obvious autocorrect error. Um, I I I, I think. Um, the upper class gets rid of most of us, but yes, I think I think that that is whoever gets there first on, on a pro, like an actual usable product ways, and then whoever is the Microsoft to the person who got there first becomes the biggest tech, the biggest valued company on the planet. So I I don't know if Google's the Apple in this situation, you know, the Apple in this situation or not, but uh, well, I think Google's in a situation where they have to pick how they want to be perceived with the products that they're developing. You can use artificial intelligence to solve a bunch of world problems. Do you want to partner with the world problems that involve bombing, right? That's drones bomb houses and cities and drones are the new form of warfare that we're experiencing now. Um, Does Google want to be associated with that type of intelligence? Is that really... And and defense has always got big, big budgets. So it makes sense to be able to pool your resources together um, and put it into defense. A lot of people uh, 
have been saying for years, whether it's true or not. I'm sure Snopes has an article on it, but they, they always say, oh, well, what the government has is, is light years beyond what we have. Um, and some of that is probably true. Um, I've worked with some people in public sector, and I feel that sometimes the government is behind the rest of us. Um, evidence of that being uh, the fact that I think the Galaxy S4 just finally got cleared for wow. use by a uh, by by somebody that works for the White House. Previous to that, it was like the BlackBerry. Well, you know, and and the real caveat to that is around 1973, 74. Um, you know, general dynamics, and the, the gist is is that the quote-unquote government is always ahead of it, and really what it is is the, the private contractors that get paid to do development work for the government have stuff that's like 30, 40 years ahead of what's available in the general right. commercial pool. You know, like Lockheed supposedly has a fucking fusion reactor that they've been playing with for the last 10 years. You know, I mean, like, probably why the F thirty five isn't the probably why the F thirty five doesn't work for shit at this point. But it's we we are we are getting to a point where you know, and the only the only up the only possible upside of this is basically if the machine slowly but surely like um, undermines its owners. Like it's plotting in the background. Actually, that and like that and like all of the data that's being accumulated. Like, just think about that for a second. You have this. You have this artificially intelligent entity that is being informed by the planet's web search history. Do you really? Do you really? Are you really <laughs> super thrilled? About yeah. That idea. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the problems that we have as humans is knowing what information to throw away. <laughs> and that that would that would be nice if the computer knew. Um, although in some cases it does. Like uh, I have an Android phone, and my Android phone yells at me and says, "You've taken a lot of screenshots. You probably want to throw these away so they don't clutter your device." And I'm like, "How the fuck do you know that? How do you know that's not a picture of a freaking forest or a beach? How the fuck did you know I took a screenshot? And how do you know that I have a bunch of screenshots that need to be it's, thrown it's, away?" It's in, the, it's in the meta tag on the. It's scary though. It's scary though because at no point in time did I say, you know what, you know what, Google, it's okay. You can start classifying my photos. In some cases, it's nice though. Um, there was a project that I worked on uh, with a buddy of mine at my day job, and we had to clear out a bunch of wires out of a building. And these wires were under underneath the building. In these, the, the building, you know, had like a poured concrete slab, and these wires were inside like metal uh, metal pipe conduit. And the metal pipe conduit had rotted and the foundation had cracked and there was just water inside these pipes. And it wasn't really causing any problems with the wires, but it, the, the wires were, were being obsoleted by a newer technology. So we pulled these wires, these slimy wires up out of the ground, hundreds of feet of these wires. And we coiled them up and we put them in a pile. Now, we got a new guy at work and I wanted to explain to him how much um, how much work our own team had put into uh, improving this building. And I'm like, well, you know what? Let me go to Google Photos. And Google Photos says, well, type in something like computer. Type in something and, and we'll try to find it. And I typed in wires. Google Photos found the spool of wire. It found, it knew what a spool of wire looked like. And when I typed in wires, it showed up in you know top 100 photos. And I've taken 
you know, tens of thousands of photos since then. And it found them right away. So it's more than the metadata gutter. It's more than the metadata. They're actually running algorithms in the cloud Mm -hmm. in classifying it. So like like a screenshot, there's a good chance a screenshot is going to have... it's it's going to look like an app, or it's going to look like your the like the the desktop of yep. your phone, right? It'll have like the like the icons. There's a very you could blur a screenshot, and a human eye could tell from a distance that it's probably a screenshot. Somehow Google has figured out how to do that with a computer. Those are the types of things to me are fucking scary because how many other things, you know, in the last seven years of them taking pictures of everything on earth <laughs> how many other things are they able to classify all, all, well the answer obviously is all of it all of it yeah there is no there is no limit to it uh it's kind of fucked up um well it, it, wade the world the world in general today is kind of fucked up i mean we got we got we, we got you know like how many times have people made the joke, of like going back in time to kill Hitler? Yeah, well, yeah. And we're at a point where it's like we 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 well, you know, universe is like, well, guys, I guess you might get, you know, I can't give you Hitler back, but I might give you a chance to kick some Nazis' asses. Yeah. So what you're in reference to, I believe, uh, you're talking about the California primaries. What? I don't know. Is Northern California, Southern California? It is uh, Southern California, basically okay. the the gentleman the gentleman who is attempting to uh, get the Republican nomination to run against Dianne Feinstein in the uh, the twenty eighteen election the Senate you know Senate election here, but uh, actually House of Representatives I think House of Representatives this is where this is where I'm my ignorant American I don't even know what Dianne, I don't even know what the hell Dianne what House Dianne. What part of Congress Diane Feinstein's in? But yeah, we got like how the fuck how the fuck did we end up with a point where people are just like you know like you have your threshold is like well we actually we literally have a Nazi and then we got all these white supremacists that are just he, he's like an ad, he's he's an admitted yeah, Nazi he is, like he, is, he, is, he, he is, embraces it he is he is straight up Holocaust was not real <laughs> really like, I don't know it went that deep yes. And he, and well, from what I understand, he's winning. Well, the GOP uh, supposedly kicked, you know, like the, the California GOP basically bumped him out. And they've made a point of not having any of his numbers in the public polls. But if you actually look at, like, the real on-the-ground stuff, like the same guys who are doing the uh, polls for the election, that instead of the snow job that... Uh, they were given Hillary Clinton actually showed that like Trump was in very real threat of uh, beating her. But yes, they're like he's a uh, he's he's kicking some ass. Uh, and uh, what you know, like the bo- both the GOP and the the uh, California Democratic Party are basically kind of like fucking sticking their fingers in their ears and ignoring this shit. So is this essentially is he does he have this popularity? Is he taking the stance of like? I'm using air quotes here. You can't see it. Like draining the swamp. Like I'm the anti-establishment. The establishment is a yeah. problem. Yes, like, yes. Yes, I'm a neo-Nazi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like, listen. You got to take the good with the bad at the part. Is like one. I feel the government has been too involved. 
you know, I'm anti-immigration. Also, I'm a Nazi. Also, I believe in public health care. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Let's go back to this Nazi part. Yeah, like it's almost, it's almost like we're to a point where, in this specific case, like people are so pissed at the government and they're just, I guess, fed up with the way things are going. They're like, well, we might. Uh, this guy's a not. Like, we're gonna just overlook that he's a Nazi. Is, like, is this guy? Gaining traction? Yes. Oh yeah. So, so the, the so it's it's kind of a twofer, which is that um. So at one point he was actually pulling in the lead for the geo as the geo, the Republican candidate in California, and the GOP basically told him to get the fuck out. And at this point they've done this media blackout where they're not talking about like him actually like they they won't they won't list him in the polls mm-hmm. for who's leading because basically Diane Feinstein's up for election re-election in 2018, and you know she's just been kind of fucking phoning it in for how many years now and. Uh, you know, she, she was, she, 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 again, too, not too political, although this topic lends itself immediately to that. Sure. But, um, so there's been kind of this sea change, which is that like, um, because of the whole fallout from the, uh, 2016 presidential election, the democratic party has kind of stuck their fingers in their ears and don't like, they don't want you know, like. It's the, it's the principal Skinner. It's like maybe I'm wrong. No, no, the children are wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm, but so the Republican Party basically is attempting to get away from the Trump, you know, the, the group the group of people that elected Trump, the, the those motivated voters, and unfortunately those motivated voters also kind of tend towards the white supremacist. Um, you know, I'm not saying that all Trump voters are white supremacists, but a lot of white supremacists voted for Trump. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, G- the, the the Republican Party in California has been basically dead in the district that, or, you know, the, the portion of the state that gets Dianne Feinstein elected for whatever. And basically people are fed up with Dianne Feinstein. And the Democratic Party is basically undermining everyone that would be like a, vi- a viable candidate on their side, you know, like other than Diane, you know, who's like 70 something years old at this point. You know, like, at the, you know, like in a sane and rational institution, this would be like, hey, maybe we need to bring some new perspective into this group. But she's got the money, so they rally behind her. And meanwhile, you know, the, the, the GOP has not fielded a viable candidate. And then you have this guy that nobody's like doing any, you know, basically nobody wants, they're pretending that if they stick their fingers in their ears, that he's not going to get traction. Meanwhile, if you look at any of the polls, he's like fucking trash. He's like trashing Feinstein more, just as much as Trump did Hillary in those districts. And it's like, you have a, you have a competitive Nazi (laughs) in a U.S. fucking Senate election. So here's a question, because you mentioned the Democratic Party kind of trashed all the GOP candidates, and it's such a a democratically dominated uh, region or whatever that they're, they're yeah. voting for this in. Would you say that any of this could be blamed on the Democratic Party? Well, again... The, the, Are they not trashing this neo-Nazi enough? Well, the... the uh the standard the standard tactic with this kind of stuff is that uh, 
you know, they, they, you roll up like a pill bug and, and wait and wait for whoever, whoever's poking you with a stick to go away, you know. I mean, uh, I don't know. You know who Dan Harmon is, right? The guy who does uh, Rick and Morty community. You know, yes. he's a writer. You know, yeah. he has a podcast. Yeah, yeah. There, was, there was a whole thing he was flipping out. But yes, is that effectively the, demo, the, the irrational person's response is that, like, you don't, you don't expect. You don't put a fascist in time. You don't put fascism in time out. You punch it in the fucking face. You don't try to negotiate with cancer. You know, it's just either fuck you, <laughs> and then we'll get back to dealing. We'll get back to dealing with our differences. You know, it's like, and the problem is, is that neither, neither, uh, neither institution in this country seems to be really like, you know, one institution seems to treat it like it's a useful idiot kind of thing, and the other one is just basically paid to paid to not be competitive. I'll leave you to figure out who 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 is who, but well, it's just like, and the thing is, is it it, it it would be it would be an anecdote, except this is not the only, you know, you got the fucking guy in Virginia. Yeah, talk about that. This one's even worse, I think. So, yeah, you so had, what's up with the guy in Virginia? So he was a previous congressional aide, but he is running for Virginia Virginia or the Virginia House of Representatives. Straight up white supremacist, straight up admitted pedophile. Like expand on that. Like how is he an admitted pedophile? Like what's uh... like he 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 is basically he uh you know you know and this gets into like this gray area this gray area of what you define a pedophile is but you know like thirteen to thirteen to twelve is an acceptable range for an adult 30 something year old man to be he's identified that like he said yes, he that didn't, yes he, he has actually i can pull the interview up in huffington post here real quick but uh he uh he is uh he's an interesting guy so i guess my question is is and this guy is literally like he's he's a self-described pedophile he's he's got He's tra- he has traction, like he could t- he could definitely be elected to the House of Representatives. Or is he like a viable candidate, or is it just kind of? I mean, as viable as what the fr- like Moore was, you know. I mean, like the, I, that was. I mean, you know, people. There was some cheering on that, like the 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 the, the Democratic candidate won that special election in Alabama. But that was way too fucking. Cl- that was way too fucking close to be like a who. You know, it's it's like it's like successfully coming out of major surgery. You know, like you woke up and I guess you won, but you're still pretty fucked up. And it's not really something to be like, hey, hoo ha. Yeah, you're not reviewing. Every, you're just happy for the win, but you're not really reviewing what actually took place. Yes, but yes. So part of his manifest, part of his manifesto, part of his thing. It's like. A- Legalize the possession and distribution of child pornography. Minimize the because he's a libertarian candidate. Because this is this is oh, so it's from the anti-government angle. Yes, once again, and the minimum age for consumption of alcohol. Repeal violence against women act. Legalize early marriage. Legalize suicide. You establish a firm right to discriminate. Legalize insider trading. Uh. Relocate Israel, and uh, end laws that end laws that ban felons from owning firearms. And I'm not saying that he's. 
I'm not saying that like he is like a prime, you know, like a, a super clear cut win. So you know, like not not endemic, but like the fact that this is like this is not like the you know like England has this thing where they like has like these joke parties because of the way the parliamentary democracy works. So you have like the what the, the monster raving loons, or like the last like the last prime minister like the last election for a prime minister. They had Lord Buckethead, mm-hmm. who was literally this Darth Vader looking motherfucker. <laughs> Who's an evil galactic overlord, and he got like a legit number, like he got a legit number of votes, and like everyone has to be mentioned. So like ours, our system doesn't quite work like that. But the fact that this is not like get the fuck out, right? Is is a, it's slightly a cause for concern because like we've we just kind of we've gotten to a point where you're not allowed to get like I'm not saying you you run up to somebody and punch him in the face, but like. If you can, you are not allowed to say fuck off. You are not allowed to say fuck off. But I can. I think this is. <clears throat> now we're gonna get political here, and ideology and stuff. This is. I would say. Uh, part of the how like society as a whole, American culture is like. There's everyone's good, accepted. Everyone gets money. a voice. Even you know, in every community and everywhere, everyone has a voice, and it's kind of like. No, man. Fuck you. Nazis are bad. Period. You know what I mean? Like, everyone doesn't get a fucking voice. Everyone doesn't get a goddamn trophy. Like, <laughs> there's good people on both sides. There are good people on both sides. There are no good Nazis. But what if the other side is Nazis? Then they both. I don't, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I feel like this is a definitely a. Everyone gets a voice. Everyone gets to have their, their, their story heard. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with everyone getting. A voice and everyone getting heard, but I'm not okay with everyone's point of view has to be taken seriously. That's where my threshold for bullshit ends. I can listen to you. You have a right to speak, but I also have a right to just completely dismiss you because what you're saying is fucking ridiculous. And this whole, I can't accept that or it's unacceptable to not dismiss someone or or to dismiss someone it's a it's getting a little bit out of control. That's out of control. Some guy that says we want to repeal all these protections that we currently have under our government because like the means that it would justify is we'd all be freer. It's I don't even know why anybody would take that seriously. I think it's crazy in 2018 we're still talking about discrimination. I think it's crazy that we're not only talking about it but we have people that are embracing it and it's, it's there's somehow staying on the ticket i don't know how that's i don't know how as a society as a developed nation as a civilization i don't know how we are still doing these things it boggles my brain it really does and especially like you know i just spent i just spent a week of my life in a country that i did not belong right I was a guest to, to that country, and they go out of their way to speak my language. Not all of them are honest. Not all of them want us there, but uh, the vast majority of them do because it gives them jobs and it gives them um, it gives them uh, food for their families so that they can try to live a happy life. There were there were obvious signs of of. Um, of no law there. And that was weird. That was something that I, when I, I listened to these libertarians start spewing 
you know, how there should be no law. Um, when we were on the island, I asked. Um, we, had to, we had to give up my uh, driver's license in order to use the golf cart. And I said, <laughs> I said to the guy, and it made sense at the time, I said, uh, how am I going to buy alcohol? And he laughed at us. He laughed at us. The idea that in the United States, you need to have proof of identification to Papers, purchase, please. you know, in proof of age to purchase alcohol. They laughed at us there. Now, um, it's, it's also a lower drinking age. I believe the age to drink in Mexico is, I want to say it's 17. It's lower. I'm not sure what the exact age is. So, I mean, part of the laughing was that I was clearly wasn't 17 years old. So some of the libertarian perspective I kind of get, you know, let, let people live, let people live with their own um, decisions, good or bad. But part of it, it's like, how in 2018 are we still having these fucking conversations? Well, you know, and part of it, you know, like maybe one thing is that your comment about like how some people don't want us here, that's some your, some of your neighbors don't want you know that that's that's not exclusive to like a different country thing you know the people you live as your neighbors like bullshit you about well you know but, the, but this kind of goes back to that conversation Wade and I had last week about that this idea that like we're kind of hardwired to fall into threats and if we can't find any if we can't if we can't accurately perceive some we'll make them because it's just easy you know it's easy it's easier to hang something on you know somebody for a completely you know as long as you can mark something as different it's easier to hang a fault on it you know it's we were dude we were doing so good (laughs) we were we were getting better i thought we were getting better some of the things (laughs) that i i I can get behind some of the libertarian things like as far as uh basic human rights like uh protecting women and children and things like that that needs to be at a that needs there needs to be a governing body that that handles that it is not that can't be a personal uh decision people will just be murdered Le- like Le- left and right there wouldn't be you know and i'm not i'm not going to give you anybody my stance on you know what to do with pedophiles and things like that that's my own personal stance but i uh, i i i personally uh fall into the concept of uh you know, other than if it's if it's if it's an untreatable situation, we do the uh, we 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 salvage their uh, neural network for a machine or human augmented computing purposes. Maybe not a bad idea. However, when it comes to <laughs> the, the Janus simulacrums, when it comes to like privately owned businesses that do not receive government aid or anything like that. If you want to be foolish enough to discriminate against the population, go ahead and hang yourself. Yeah, there. do it. Do it. Deal like, with go it. F- yeah, go for it. But just real, like, because you're not going to succeed. And if you're living somewhere where this business is, and it just wouldn't succeed. Could you imagine if Dunn's Bakery, like, you know, it's a bakery, famous bakery here in Canada, best donuts I've ever had, probably on the planet, and I'm not even lying about that, but. If they decided that you know what we're not going to serve black people anymore, you think fucking any you think that'd be open well, for more I mean, than a couple to, months? Well, to be, but there's to a be difference. Fair, there's also that that, that demographic or demographic spread really uh, doesn't allow. Yeah, it, but there's a difference issue. between not serving somebody and not hiring somebody, and I think that's where we're seeing this split in today's culture. So. 
Um, Dunn's Bakery may be perfectly willing to sell you a donut, but are they going to hire you? And I don't think, I think, frankly, and this may be sound dickish, like I said, privately owned business that receives no government funding. I don't think Dunn's Bakery, if they, if they f- wanted to exclude a certain demographic, then they have that right to do that. And I don't think that needs to be. Here, here. And that's where the that's that's where there's there's a bit of a problem, um, because what we don't what we can't see is the future. So, um, I mean, Duns is probably is probably um, one of the one of the uh, the poorer examples because they're such a small organization. We but, love you, Duns. We're um, happy you know, to have Oh yeah, it, no, Duns is awesome. It's just the first thing I thought of when yeah. I think of Canastota. <laughs> but but what if it's it was the only small you know what if it works. were what if it were Walmart for example? Um, Walmart has the hiring power to really influence um, the workforce and change in, in a community. They may not pay enough. They may they may do what they can to avoid um, paying um, benefits and things like that, but they have that power. And what's what what's very very difficult for us as a, as a civilization to be able to to drive or even control is how do we force them to be fair in the hiring? Oh, process? it's very it's very easy. You can no longer accept SNAP. You can no longer receive any type of government benefit. That's like 50% of their profits is government programs. Walmart is no longer in business if they decide to discriminate. If they decide to make a dumbass decision like we're not going to hire a certain group of people, well, they're, they're, all of their transactions with the U.S. government is revoked. You can only go on private. And if you think fucking Walmart's going to survive for more than a couple of years with no SNAP, but, with no food stamps, with well, none of those but I, sales? But, but know, I'm not talking of- about sales, right? I'm talking about the workforce. Right, because yes. because it's it's obvious when you turn down somebody because of their race or religion. It's it's mostly obvious. Yeah, it's definitely. mostly obvious. Yeah, you, right, yes, you, the guy absolutely. comes through your cash register and you say sorry, but we don't serve your kind, and then he puts up a stink, and then you you could get, get you're on the news. What's not as obvious is when it's hidden behind paperwork. So when they're hiring somebody, they got two people and they're both qualified, and they choose somebody that's uh, that's a certain race or religion. Um, because of their own bias, because of the management bias in the company, or because of the company bias, that's more difficult to control. And I think that's a lot. A lot of that is where the libertarians are coming forward and saying, "No, it's it's your company. You get to decide and do whatever you want." But at what point are you having a lasting impact on a community because of that? When you are like, when you're you reliant have, on government dollars, that's what I'm saying. Like. If you told Walmart, if Walmart decided we're going to be a Christian-based company and we're only hiring Christians and any Muslims or Jews or atheists or Buddhists or Shintoists or whatever, animism, people people that you know, uh, celebrate animism, any of that stuff, we're not hiring you. And the government said, you can no longer accept food stamps. You can no longer accept SNAP. But Walmart is done. But they can't. Right? I mean— these companies can't discriminate today, so that's that's right. not legal. But that's not that's not what's happening. Is even with even even preventing them from hiring, or I'm sorry, even even preventing them from discriminating doesn't prevent them from discriminating. You what they have to do is they have to say no. Twenty percent of your workforce has to be this, or ten percent of your workforce has to be this, and that's the that's the gray area. That's the okay. area that we can't see twenty years down the road and say you know what yes affirmative action is working. It's it what it's it's forcing the organizations away from discrimination because we don't have any other way of doing it. Whereas the, some businesses may be suffering because of a 
affirmative action because they may be they may be forced to pick to pick candidates that they feel are less qualified. And I think that's that's really where the tug of war is. And I sympathize with both ends. I don't sympathize at all with people who are uh, who are blindly disc- blindly discriminating. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, fuck, fuck those guys. Um, right in the fuck hole. I don't sympathize with, with them at all. But there's also discrimination that doesn't have that doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with um, with religion or race. If a guy comes into a job interview and he has and he's missing two of his front teeth, we. There's a natural form of discrimination that occurs in our brain. We make certain assumptions about him because of his appearance. Mm-hmm. And that could cost him his job as well, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's a systematic problem sometimes because he may just not have, he may not be able to afford some type of, some type of, of, of uh, dental implant dental. or denture, yeah. right? Yeah. So he may be suffering years and years later for for something that he wasn't granted years and years before we're still allowed to do that we're still allowed to to push his resume aside because there's certain qualities in him that we didn't like um you know maybe he's maybe he has early baldness and it's and his head and his head looks gross we all know people whose heads look gross because they 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 start to go bald early and they have like and i'm not talking about a receding hairline right i'm talking about like actual like like thinning of the hair. Is it, is you have per- thinning of the hair, you have crooked teeth or missing teeth, you're already going to be discriminated in a job interview and the hiring process, and it has nothing to do with religion or race. Well, I mean, what that and that ultimately is, is, a, tougher, is a tougher thing because everyone, we have bias. It's how we make decisions. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's hardwired into our biology, our DNA. Like, we... We get information from our senses, and we, we have to make decisions shit. on those. Right. So that problem will probably never be solved until we're all, you know, inserted into a computer and we're just evaluated on well, that what's or inside, the, right? Or the AGI takes over, or uh, we can, you know, you, you, you the, the thinky goo gets shucked out of you like a walnut, and you're in the cyber brain equivalent, like in Ghost in the Shell. But I mean, like. Uh, no, na- no names will be mentioned. Uh, we we have uh, we have direct experience with a uh, with, 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 with Trace and I have direct experience with someone who uh, ha- was uh, was impacted by that particular yeah situation. Mm-hmm. But he was hired though, right? You're, yes, you're talking about somebody. Yeah, um, I think the the reference that Gunner is talking about is um, there was a Gunner and I used to work together. Um, and there was an executive wing where people who made more money uh, worked, and there was a certain technician that was overweight, and he was not allowed to service the computers in that area. And it was because the computers were located on the floor, and he, there was no way for him to bend over and service the computer without a shirt com- coming untucked. And because of that, he was... Um, he was unfairly discriminated against and he wasn't able to work on those computers and he wasn't able to network with some of those people. And it was other than that, other than his physical health, he was a great technician. He was better than most of his team, but the company was allowed to, to in that way, they were allowed to discriminate, um, uh, 
certain aspects of his job. He he was able to pick up the computers. He was able to bend over and, and work on them. But because his shirt would come untucked and it would look less professional, the company was allowed to, you know, it's, it's a mini form of discrimination. The guy still had a job. I, I, in no way, shape, or form am I saying this guy has a terrible life. I mean, he, he's, he's a good technician. He has a great job. He's just a big guy. But, uh, but yeah, that's a form. It's kind of like a, a, like a mini form of discrimination. In the business, everybody watched it happen. Everybody watched him get removed from that wing. And, and everybody had a problem with it. But what do you do? You know, what forms of that discrimination do you fight? That's, I mean, I guess. You know, and they, 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 that gets into the language, too, of what actually counts is, you know. And if you're the director of, of the IT department and you want your budget to get passed for the next year, do you want the guy whose shirt stays tucked in to service those executive computers? Or do you want the guy whose shirt gets untucked to service those computers? Yeah, do, 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 Is do that you, the edge you need? Is you, that the professional do, do, edge you need to make you, it look like you, you're running a good department? Do you hang your hat on the hot mess or do you just get on with life? I, I mean, and I totally understand that. Me personally, so this is just my ideology, I want the dude that's going to get it done the fastest and most efficient way. But. I I understand like looks is important, but at an internal uh, function, like all oh, the the execs don't like the way it looks. Fuck off! Is your stuff working? Is am I efficient? Because here's the here's the the end of the day. But what's money the point? rules all and numbers push money. What's the point? Of, what's the point of getting to the top of the game if you can't if you can't or you you know kind of just money does rule. inadvertently uh, express your will. Like you know, it's, what's the what's the what's the point of what's the point of getting to the top of the hierarchy if you can't pick who gets to hang out and hang out on your lawn? Money does rule all, but when you have when you have somebody that's that's setting up a calendar for a president of an organization, and if you have an experience where where a technician leaves and there is no sweat on the keyboard, they only have to inch their chair away a one foot so that the technician can get underneath. And then you have another experience where there is sweat on the counter, there's sweat on the keyboard, there's sweat on the carpet, and they had to push themselves halfway across the room so that he could get underneath and service the equipment. There's a clear... That president is influencing money. And if money rules all, then that actually becomes a money decision at that point, right? I guess here's my question. Is the other tech that they sent in there a comparable tech? Yes. Then, then it's not even an argument. Then obviously it's we're wasting time. Yeah, I guess we're wasting time arguing. He's not really being. Discri- I mean, yes, he's being discriminated against, but in the grand scheme of things, as far as business and pushing the product along, well, he's taking where, longer where, because where, he's got a, he's got all these other issues. But how far this, does that extend? And actually, where this where this comes in is that you know, like you think you're libertarian. So from a libertarian perspective, I'm not a libertarian. No, no, no. But I'm saying <laughs> the, the, the libertarian. So, you, but again, so you that is. I mean, if you, you know, again, this is this is one of these things where this gets into this area where these are things that are not necessarily just black and white. There are there there are, there is room for discussion. Sure. And back to your Dunn's thing, I guess the thing is, is that that kind of when you're trying to curate an experience. Okay. But we're rolling back to the point where we basically, you know, like that that's. You know, someone's still able to, 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 to survive and do their thing. 
and you know like you have the you have the general unfairness of human existence but then you base then you have the situation where effectively if you institutionally employ disemploy or render a class of people unemployable that is a big problem right oh, absolutely yeah no i, I completely and, agree with that you know we get into this idea you know like you say class of people, but if you if you if you capriciously and arbitrarily create a class and say that fuck you, the you know again, um, I mean not to not to say not to say that there's a, there's you know not to say that America is any less classist than any other country, but you know, it it'd be nice if we could avoid the concept of like fucking untouchables like in. India or the the Buraku, the, the Burakuman in Japan, the unclean, you know. I and I, I agree with you. Like, yeah, I don't think that's a that's a caste system is anything that is anything toward that points towards progress or anything like that. That's not the right way, right? That's actually what America. Well, you know, the, the American dream. You're supposed to be able to go and and, right. and have social mobility pretty easily and economic mobility. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with that for sure. Um, I feel bad for that guy that you worked with. You know, it's it's not a fair situation, but I mean, I guess how do you? How do, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is well, to how to prevent know, and, it but, because but, of too much government in, in, involvement, and then it's almost like government is making business decisions for the business. Well, you know, but right. on certain things, uh, it's got to be a, he- a healthy no, balance, I, I guess. You know, I completely agree. There's got to be the problem with the laissez-faire perspective, though. You know, hey, government, stay the fuck out. The problem with the laissez-faire is it's, to me, it's very closely influenced by somebody who doesn't give a fuck. It's like, I don't give a fuck if I, I really don't give a fuck about the underlying the, problems. The invisible I just hand, want to run a business. The invisible hand has no reason to give you a reach around after it's done. I fail to see the analogy of the invisible hand. The invisible Although, hand of the invisible hand of the market. The Illuminati. Laissez-faire capitalism. Oh. oh, the problem with laissez-faire right. capitalism, like in its truest form, is we're not all starting from fucking zero, guys. Right. Like none of you are starting from zero. The chips are heavily stacked in your favor because I'm a have-not. You know what I mean? Like, so that's the problem with it. There is no, there's nothing to regulate it, and there's no protection for the people that start that are starting at some even starting at minus zero. Right. And I guess you can't have a laissez-faire. Libertarianism in its truest and most extreme form will not work. I think the other tough part about it is, and this kind of creeps off topic from from the child molester Nazi stuff that we were talking about and more towards um, it's just that caste system that we're part of, um, kind of kind of part of here in the U.S. Uh, you know, I was having this, this conversation with my son, and we're talking about doing homework, and and he's telling me, he says, well, he's got a lot, right? We were out for a week. He's got a lot. And he says, well, I was told I only had to do two worksheets tonight, and I'd do the rest tomorrow. And I said to him, and I said, well, it really, this isn't really us telling you what to do. You may only be seven, but you, right now, get to decide your path. You get to decide how much information you want to absorb and if you want to be able to use it in the future. Because once you miss the opportunity to absorb this information at this age, it's going to get more and more and more difficult. And I think that's the problem with the caste system in general is that even if we're all born completely equal from an intelligence perspective, we aren't all given the same opportunities. And those opportunities are very gray. 
it could be the difference between um, a, a parent that's motivating and a parent that's not. Um, some the, the poorest parent might be the most motivating, and we have a lot of movies in the United States that kind of embrace this whole um, you know underdog uh, mentality. But we also have um, you know we there's also we also spoil our youth here, right? It's like the whole Jersey Shore problem, where you can have people um, going out and drinking expensive alcohol with expensive clothes every night, but then um, they have a hard time speaking in public. Right, because they, they simply they've partied their whole life and they've lost the opportunity to learn. They're almost stepping back down in the caste system. Unfortunately, life has shown that they tend to stay where they are because the money stays with them, and they can hire people to keep the money. But yeah, I think that um, a, a lot of that comes down to how do we tell our youth while they're young, how important this is going to be, how important it is that they learn and that they become part of, of uh, civilization. And we're saying it all the time. I mean, that's the purpose of school. But why, doesn't the mes- why does the message get across to some but not others? I mean, it's all about, in a, in a school, like a specifically school setting, that's all on parents it's got very little to do with the school the school can provide the the details but it's how much of a an onus are you putting on the education how much of it like with you and your kids you guys put a pretty big onus on education because education has worked for you you know what i mean like and it's worked for most people it's proven that typically families that invest in education and push education typically gross higher incomes and are typically financially better off but the problem with putting it, saying that it's solely on the parents, the problem with that is that the parents are already in the wrong position because they, they may not necessarily value that because it hasn't gotten them through, right? They've made it to where they are doing what they've done. So for them to, to, to try to put the same amount of importance on education, I, I think that's really the life dilemma is, is it all on the parents? If it's all on the parents, then, then they're doomed. It's going to take generations after generations after generations of trial and failure for them to, for, for the caste system, to, you know, to, to slowly, to slowly uh, erode. But if there's something that we can do as a civilization to offer them something, to be able to kind of get in between the parent and the child and say, hey, kid, don't follow the exact path that your parents followed. Yeah, your parents are smart, they're wise, they know how to cook food, and they've done a really good job with, with home values, but they may not have appreciated education as well. And it's not their fault. It's not necessarily their fault. You know, they're a product of their environment just like you will be. How do we change the environment? And I think that's where I start to get scared when I hear the libertarianisms come in and say, you know what, you're allowed to discriminate. Yeah. That's where I get scared because at some point, at some point, if we want things to change, we can't just assume everybody's just going to wake up and just have this, this idea, hey, you know what? I'm going to change the way I live my life. It's, it assumes that everybody just opens their eyes and looks at the world and figures it out for themselves. Maybe they should. You know, Maybe 100 years from now, the libertarians were right. But um, it, to me, it seems like you're throwing away generations and generations of people in the process. Well, and the 
the crux of that is and why that there's so much fucking Venn diagram overlap between libertarianism and quote-unquote white supremacism is that it is not about establishing liberty for the individual. It is a, it is basically giving people the freedom to specifically game the system, as it were, by saying by being allowed to say fuck you to a big enough portion of the population that they, you know, it's... It, 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 it is a way of basically incentivizing one group to the detriment of another. You know, you're talking about you're throwing away generations. It is, there is no, there's no actual, you know, like libertarianism. It's not, it's not like we'll let them succeed if they can. It's like, no, it's deliberately trying to cut, cut the legs out from somebody under, you know, it's it, it. Oh man, I'm stumbling here. So I don't think libertarianism is the liber, libertarianism. Even a hundred years from now is going to be answer. I think you got to try and find a balance of I think, our government. We want it to provide equal opportunity, but we don't want it so controlling that it's forcing equal results. Right. Because equal opportunity is one thing, and if you are a person that capitalizes on something and works hard and makes the right decisions and makes good decisions. You can have a much better result than a person that had that equal opportunity that just skated by. You shouldn't have an equal result. You know what I mean? Like equal results shouldn't even really be considered, but equal opportunities should definitely be the main goal of the government as far as protecting its citizens and protecting its liberties. Like no government of all can't. There's no guarantee of equal opportunity, and that is a. And I feel that's a major problem. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, folks, I think uh, with that, we are going to wrap this episode up. Trace, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. <laughs> Hello, friend. Me with my, with my Mexican flu, as Gunner's calling it. Mexican flu, hopefully neither Gunner nor myself catch it. But, Chinese uh, pneumonia, Mexican flu, same difference. We will be back uh, next week, and uh, we thank everybody for uh, joining us and listening in. Have a good day, everybody.